Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 7. We are continuing our series called God With Us, and this morning we're actually looking at the passage where that phrase comes from. And it's a very familiar Christmas verse. And that verse is found, or at least the phrase in which that verse is found, is found in Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, we quote that verse often this time of year, rightly so, because it is about the coming of the Messiah. We also see it posted, we post it online, it's on Christmas cards, it's on decorations, and we, we use that verse, but so often we don't look at the context in which that verse is found. And so often whenever we take a verse out of context, we, we may have the meaning of the verse, but we may lose the deeper overall richer fuller meaning and so today that's what i would like for us to do for just a few moments i'd like for us to take that verse and i would like for us to look at it in context and i think one of the reasons so so often that we don't look at verses in context because it's because sometimes it can be confusing it can be confusing because we have to go back and we have to study and we have to look and we have to say what's going on here what's going around on in these verses around this verse. And so I want us to pick up in Isaiah chapter 7, starting with verse 4. But before we do that, I want us to look at the context as we begin Isaiah 7, 4. So now Isaiah 7, as we read the verses around that verse about Emmanuel, we're going to get a context. But I want to put that passage in a, the larger context. The larger context is this. King Ahaz had a problem. King Ahaz was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. The kingdom, that, that area had split, and the northern kingdoms, or the northern kingdom had split off. The southern kingdom had split off. The northern kingdom, we've talked about this before, was the kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom was the kingdom of Judah. And Judah was loyal to David. And then we have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And there was a little bit of tension between them. As the years went on, there became an increasing tension between them. So much so that by the time King Ahaz was king of the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel was planning to invade him. Now, before we feel a great deal of pity about king, uh, for King Ahaz, King Ahaz was a wicked guy. King Ahaz was a terrible leader. He had terrible religious practices where he engaged in occult practices and also tried to mesh that with the worship of the one true God. He also was just a terrible leader altogether. He was a leadership train wreck. But King Ahaz was the king of that southern kingdom, and God had made some promises that his people were going to survive. There would always be a remnant. There was always going to be a faithful few that God was going to take care of. And so you find that King Ahaz, though, he's panicked. 
Because he has found out that not only is the northern kingdom of Israel going to invade him, they have buddied up with the land of Syria. So Syria and the northern kingdom both plan to invade the southern kingdom of Judah. So what's a king to do whenever he gets in that position? Well, he is not fully trusting God at this point in time. And so what King Ahaz does is he has a plan himself. I'm going to go and I'm going to make an alliance with the nation of Assyria. Not Syria, but Assyria. So Syria and Israel may try to invade us, but I'm going to reinforce our forces with the nation of Assyria. So I'm going to partner with the Assyrians, and they're going to come alongside me. The Bible tells us, farther back in the Old Testament, that King Ahaz actually gave some of the treasure from the temple to basically bribe Assyria to help him. So he gave some of the gold, some of the silver, some of the precious things from the temple, from the storehouse, some of the, the treasury of the Lord gave that to this pagan nation to try to come help them fight the northern kingdom and Syria simply because Ahaz was not willing to fully trust God. Now it's into that environment, it's into that context that we find Isaiah chapter 7. God speaks to Isaiah and says, Isaiah, I want you to go to this particular place on this particular road at this particular time and I want you to talk to King Ahaz, and I want you to deliver this message. Not only that, God tells Isaiah, I also want you to take your son that you have right now, a son whose name means a remnant shall remain, and I want you to go and I want you to confront Ahaz and I want you to tell him what I'm about to tell you. So not only is, is Isaiah going to tell him this is what the Lord says, he's also bringing along his son whose name means a remnant shall remain. Thus pointing toward the faithfulness of God, if you only trust God, God's going to take care of that remnant. God's going to take care of his people. Which brings us to Isaiah chapter 7. And we're talking today about Emmanuel behind the name. What does this mean? What can we learn from the name Emmanuel. So let's pick up with that context in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 4. God says to Isaiah, and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Syria, and he's talking about the northern kingdom. Two smoldering stumps of firebrands, those torches they would carry back then. God says, are you kidding me? Why are you afraid of them? They are just the burnt out, smoldering stumps of a torch. That's all they are. Why are you concerned about them? You're concerned of some sort of fire falling from them? They're just smoldering stumps of torches. At the fierce anger of reason and Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria with Ephraim, Ephraim is another word for the northern kingdom, Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah, have, has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tibiel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Syria and the northern kingdom, they're not going to do this. I'm not going to allow it. I'm going to take care of this. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. 
And within 65 years, Ephraim will be, scattered, will be shattered from being a people. Within 65 years, you find that they are carried off into captivity. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramaliah. Notice this verse. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Verse 10, again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven, deep as the the pits of the grave or as high as heaven, anything in between Ahaz, you just ask it and God is going to give you a sign to prove to you that he is going to do what he says he's going to do. Notice what Ahaz says. Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Ahaz suddenly tries to act all pious. Oh, I would never do that. No, see, here's the deal. Ahaz isn't having a religious moment here. Ahaz is refusing to ask ask God for a sign because he knows if he says, give me a sign, and God gives him the sign, that means God's going to accomplish what he says he's going to accomplish, and Ahaz is going to be even more responsible for not depending upon him. So Ahaz says, no, it's okay. I'm not even going to ask him a sign. Oh, I would never do that. Notice what Isaiah says. And he says, Here then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You didn't ask for a sign, Ahaz. That's fine. God's going to give you one anyway. You're responsible, and God's going to hold true to the promises he's made in the past. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now that might be nice and neat and tidy if we just stop there, but you find that Isaiah doesn't. God continues the prophecy. Verse 15, he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. He'll eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. He'll be eating solid food whenever he reaches the point that he knows the difference in good and evil. Verse 16, for before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, that is, before this child is eating solid food, the land whose two kings you you dread will be deserted. Ephraim, northern kingdom, they're going to be deserted. The the kingdom of Syria, not going to be a problem anymore. God's going to take them down. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. So God's promise says this. There's going to be a child born. Going to call his name Emmanuel. God with us. That's going to be a sign to you, Ahaz. God is going to be with us. And when that child is born, when that child is born, he is going to live his life and before he reaches that point that he's off of just milk and he's eating solid food these two people these two nations these two kings that you fear are not going to be an issue anymore they're going to be done with they're going to be wiped out they're going to be finished now that sounds great but the issue is this wait a minute jesus is born long after this so what on earth is isaiah talking about Is Isaiah only talking about Jesus? Or is there something else going on here at the same time? Because most definitely they were wiped out by the time Jesus came into power. They had experienced a defeat. But was that, what about about this baby? And besides that, if 
if it were only talking about Jesus, what, what would this matter to King Ahaz? He would never have seen Jesus been born. So what is going on with this? And what do we know behind the name of Emmanuel, God with us, as we look to the person of Jesus as the fulfillment of this? Well, a few things. First of all, in Jesus and in the name Emmanuel, we find the fulfilled prophecy of God. There's the fulfilled prophecy of God. Now, we just talked about this. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Which means this. There's something more going on here than just the birth of Jesus. Does this point to the birth of Jesus? Absolutely yes. But does it point to some other things as well? Yes as well. It's important to understand whenever you read prophecy that sometimes you read a prophecy and there is a near fulfillment and also a distant fulfillment of that prophecy in some cases. So sometimes there is a near term and sometimes there is a distant future fulfillment of the same prophecy. Now, sometimes God gives a prophecy and says, this will come to pass. And then we see shortly thereafter, boom, that comes to pass. And that prophecy has been fulfilled and done. At other times, God gives a prophecy and years go by and years go by and years go by and years go by and many years go by and generations go by. And then we see it fulfilled in its fullness. And sometimes God gives a prophecy and it is fulfilled in part at one point in time, early on, near in. And then later it is fulfilled more completely in the distant future. That's what we find here. It is, a, it is a near and a distant prophecy, and it's also a partially fulfilled in this present, but also will be fully fulfilled at a later date when Jesus is born. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, let's look at the partial fulfillment. It's found over in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3, next chapter over. The next chapter over, you find that Isaiah goes to his wife, and it says, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3, I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name Maher Shalel Hajbaz. Now, I know some of you are probably looking for a name for your child. Might I humbly suggest Mahel Shalal Hajbaz? just has that way of rolling off the tongue. And I would pity that child the first day of school, right? Call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz, which means swift to the spoil, speeds to the prey. And you say, for goodness sake, why name a child that? Well, because God said that. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. So you find that God tells Isaiah when he goes in and his wife has a child, conceives a child, this is going to be the child's name because that child is pointing toward the destruction of Syria. And by the way, we find at the end of that passage we just looked at in Isaiah chapter 7, that even though uh, King Ahaz 
ended up pairing himself and pairing his kingdom with the king of Assyria, we find that not only did Assyria help them, then Assyria turned on the southern kingdom themselves. And so Assyria actually, at one point in time, looked like, looked like a friend to them and now turned upon them in later times and became their enemy as well. But Assyria was going to deal with Damascus and Syria and wipe them out. Now, most scholars say this was the partial fulfillment. And I know you say, but wait a minute. You, you've got this Mahel Shalal Hajbaz. That doesn't, that's not Emmanuel. Yeah, but you also find in the New Testament, in the passage we're about to look at, that Jesus is never referred to in person as Emmanuel. The whole idea of Emmanuel is it is God with us. It's more of a symbolic name than a literal name because the angel says you're going to call his name Jesus. But it, Jesus was God with us. And in this case, in the Old Testament, Isaiah is saying, Ahaz, don't you get it? God is with us. God is speaking. God's giving prophecies. God's made promises. God's made promises in the past. He's going to they're going to come to fulfillment even now. And we find that in the same way, before this child knows how to speak, my father, my mother, before Isaiah's kid is eating solid food, the destruction that he's already talked about has come to pass. It's a partial fulfillment. Even though the names don't exactly match up, it's a partial fulfillment. Where do we find the full fulfillment of that? Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. As he, that's Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he, shall, he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's what it is. God with us. Behind the name, you have the fulfilled prophecy of God. In the name Emmanuel, God with us, you find that God himself came and dwelt among us. And you find that we can trust God's word. King Ahaz didn't want to trust God's word. He did not want to trust that God was there, that God was with him. So instead, he made an alliance that ultimately led to the destruction of his throne. We can trust that God is with us because we can trust his word. We can trust what he says. In this season of all sorts of topsy-turviness and everything's upside down, it seems, we can trust God's Word. God's Word is always true. God's Word is always faithful. God's Word is dependable. We can live by His Word. We can trust His Word because we know that God is with us. We find the fulfilled prophecy of God, but also in God with us, we find a fully human person plus God. And you say, that is a really strange way to say that. Yes, a fully human person plus God. The name Emmanuel gets right to the heart of the incarnation. What's the incarnation? 
Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. That's what the word incarnation means. In the flesh. Jesus came in the flesh. Now, it's important to understand the math of the incarnation. Here's how you understand the math of the incarnation. 100% God plus 100% man equals 100% Jesus. Now, I know some people say, you know, well, no, it's 200%. No, that's the math of the incarnation. 100% God plus 100% man equals 100% Jesus. Jesus was not 50% God and 50% human. He wasn't half and half. He was all and all, and that makes up Jesus. So he's all God and he's all man at the same time. So we have to understand that. We have to understand that the incarnation was not a subtraction. It was an addition. It was God himself put on the fullness of human flesh. Now here's the other thing we need to understand. A couple of things about the incarnation. First of all, it had never occurred before. It had never occurred before. Jesus, until this time, was not dwelling in flesh and blood. You find in John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. Not the Word always was flesh. Not Jesus was always in the flesh. No, the Word became flesh. That means Jesus was not just a really good man who lived a perfect life, who suddenly became deity, that God elevated. No, no, no. He was God before he was man. And he became fully man. That's what you find in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God. Now, some people make a big deal out of that word form. They say, aha, he was just in the form of God. He wasn't really God. Well, that shows they didn't do their study. Because if you go back and look that word up in the original language, it means the exact form. Exactly everything that made God, God, Jesus is. He was in the exact image of God. But he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Oh, oh, time out. This is about the time that some people say, there it is. He emptied himself. He became less than God. Oh, he may have been fully man, but he became less than God when he came to earth. No, again, Jesus never became less than fully God. He was always fully God. So what did he empty himself of? He emptied himself and divested himself, in some translations, he divested himself of the display of his glory. We see that on the Mount of Transfiguration where the disciples, three of the disciples, got a little glimpse of it. But Jesus didn't walk around shining and glowing like he, he was whenever he was there in the heavenly realms. Jesus divested himself of that external show of his glory. Jesus divested himself of a lot of his divine privileges. He's the ruler of the whole universe, yet he serves other people. He gets down and washes dirty feet of his disciples, including Judas. You find that the king of the universe does that. He stoops 
So he's divesting himself of that display of his power, that display of his privileges, that display of his honor and his glory by taking the form, there it is again, that exact image of a servant being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He didn't become less God. And by the way, he didn't become less than human either. He became more than human. That humanity was added to him. He became more than he'd ever been. So you find that you find God sending his son, who is deity, who takes upon himself human flesh. So now we find that this is the miracle of the incarnation. And here's the other beautiful thing. The incarnation is still in effect. When Jesus rose from the grave, he didn't say, well, done with this physical body. We're done completely. Now I'm just a spirit and that's all I am anymore and I have no need for it. No, now he has a glorified body. And the incarnation is still in effect in heaven. You find 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The man, Christ Jesus. He's fully God and he's still fully man. But now he's a glorified human, and he's still fully God at the same time. There has never been anyone like Jesus, ever. Nor will there ever be anyone exactly like Jesus. Fully God, fully man, at the same time. And in the name Emmanuel, we find God with us. God coming and dwelling among us, as us, for us. That's what we find. So you find, because of this, we can trust that his sacrifice is enough. You've heard me say this before. Why was the incarnation, incarnation necessary? Now I've heard people say, well, it's because he came on earth as a human so that he could talk to us as a human, so we could understand him as a human, so therefore we would follow him and we wouldn't be scared of him. Well, that may be part of it, but that's not the whole story at all. The reason he came as a human is because humans sinned. Humans sin. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. A human sin, so what has to happen? A human's got to die. So it, let's, just say, let's just say you're a sinful human, which we all are, right? That's not hypothetical. We are. If we had to address, if we had to deal with our own sin, if God held us personally responsible and we had to pay for our own sin, how would that happen? When we died, we'd be separated from God for all eternity. And we would have to pay for our sins for all eternity. That's if it's on us. So let's just say that there is a perfect human. Let's just say, for the sake of the argument, there is a perfect human. Not fully God, but just fully human. Who lived a perfect life and is without sin. In some shape, form, or fashion, how that happens, they're born without original sin. Let's just say, hypothetically speaking, who could they die for? one other person that one person could take the place of one other person that's it they may die in your place but unless you found another perfect person you're out of luck but if that person who was dying for sin was fully god the eternal god of the universe yet at the same time fully human a perfect perfect human fully righteous and pleasing before God in and of himself. 
he could die for everyone who would come to salvation. That's the essence of it. He could die for all who come to salvation. That's why the incarnation is necessary. It's necessary for our salvation. And we can trust in the name of Emmanuel, God with us, that the sacrifice is sufficient. You don't have to do it yourself because you can't do it yourself. We depend upon his sacrifice. And finally, in the name Emmanuel, we find the continued presence of God. Over and over in the Bible, from back in the Old Testament, we find this idea of God being present with his people. Psalm 46, 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We find that when they start doubting, they start doubting the people of, of Israel as they're wandering in the wilderness. They start doubting about the presence of God. Exodus 17, 7, and he called the name of the place Massah and Mirabah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? They start doubting, is God even with us? Never mind God's leading them with his pillar of fire by the day and pillar of, or pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day. And, and, and their, their presence, they can look upon God's presence, yet they start saying, is God even with us? Yeah, he's right there. But in the hardness of their heart, they neglected to recognize that God is still with them. That continued presence. In Luke 23, verse 43, listen to what Jesus said to the thief next to him on the cross. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. In Emmanuel, God with us, we find the continued presence of God. And again, that goes back to the incarnation. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. God with us, Jesus, his perfect sacrifice provides us a way by which we can enjoy that continued presence of God. Now, I know 2020 has been hard. It's been really hard. It's been really hard in a lot of ways for a lot of people. And we have to understand that as we go into this, this season and we talk about Emmanuel, we're really saying, I'm trusting that God is with me. I'm trusting the continued presence of God. I'm trusting he hasn't left me. I'm trusting he hasn't forsaken us. I'm trusting that he has a plan for his people. And I am trusting this. And I'm also trusting that ultimately one day that's going to be completely fulfilled that continued presence of God. Another prophecy we find that has not been fulfilled yet. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. There it is again. Emmanuel. God with us, but not just God with us, we with God forever. 
a continued enjoyment of a continual, eternal enjoyment of the presence of God himself. Nothing in between. No sin so that we wouldn't see him as he is. No fears, no doubts, no tears to blur our vision. None of that. We will enjoy the continued presence of God. And since we can enjoy the continued presence of God then, we trust his promises now. We trust that he's with us. Back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9 as we close. This is what Isaiah tells King Ahaz before we get to the prophecy of Emmanuel. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Meaning, if you're not firm in faith, you're not going to be firm in anything else. You're not going to be firm when it comes to understanding God's with you. You're not going to be firm when it, when it comes to understanding that we can trust his word, that we can trust his sacrifice, that it's sufficient. If we're not firm in faith that God is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he's going to do, then we won't be firm in anything else. We can't hope to be firm in anything else if we're not firm in faith. That's Isaiah's message to King Ahaz. Ahaz, trust God in this. Trust that God is with you because if you don't trust his report and respond in the right way, Ahaz, if, you don't, if you're not firm in the faith, nothing else matters. You won't be firm in anything else. But biblically speaking, the converse is true as well. If you're firm in faith, there's not anything that you can't be firm in. If you're firm in faith, you have the opportunity to be firm in everything else. Why? Because the most important thing, the number one priority is settled. That you're firm in faith. And if you're firm in faith, everything else is a cakewalk. Yeah, at times it's hard, absolutely. But the real issue is, are you firm in faith? Because if you're not firm in faith, you won't be firm in anything. And if you're firm in faith, you'll understand that Emmanuel, God with us, he came and dwelt among us. We can trust his word. We can trust God's word that this is a fulfillment of a prophecy. We can trust God's sacrifice and trust the sacrifice of Christ. It is completely and totally sufficient. We can trust that God himself is with us and has not forsaken us or left us, even in the midst of whatever it is that we may face. And all of that, all of that points back to the person of Jesus. If you're here this morning or you're listening or watching and you've never made a decision to follow him, you can know Emmanuel today. You can know God with you through the person of Jesus. That's the only way. He is the way, the truth, the life. The only way to know God is through the Son, is through Jesus. That we trust his sacrifice, that we trust that he is fully God, he's fully man, and he died a sinner's death in our place so that we could experience God and we could have our sins forgiven and know the eternal presence of God. How do you do it? You call out upon his grace and his mercy in faith trusting that he is who he says he is he did what he said he did trusting that he died for us you ask for forgiveness and repent you turn from your sin and turn toward christ and christ will give you eternal life and then that alters the entire course 
of the rest of your earthly life here and alters the entire course of your eternity from now on. That is what God promises to us through the name Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come before you this morning, we're thankful for the gift of Emmanuel. We're thankful that you came to us in the person of Jesus. Fully human, fully God, dwelling among us, lived a perfect life, and died a sinner's death in our place. So Father, I pray that today, whatever it is we may face, whatever it is we may be concerned about, whatever's weighing on our hearts and our minds, I pray that today, Lord God, that we would bring those before you and leave them with you, and that you might use the very name, Emmanuel, to help us remember who you are and who we are in you. So we give ourselves to you during this time, and we ask that you'd be glorified. We thank you for your unspeakable gift. And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. In these next few moments, here's what I would like for us to do. As, as we sing, I would like for us just to go into a time of prayer. And we have, we have a lot of families here in our church that here in uh, recent history have experienced great loss. We have a lot of uncertainty in our nation, a lot of uncertainty in the world. We have a lot of concern about COVID and family health and all sorts of other things, all sorts of issues and concerns that are just weighing on lots of people within our faith family. And so I would invite you, if you want to, you can come to the altar and pray. You can pray where you are. But I would just like for us to take this time to, to just offer up a prayer as we just call upon God. And as always, if, if you have a decision to make, if you want someone to pray with you or talk with you, talk to you about how you can know Christ, talk to you about baptism or joining the church, we'll, we'll be seated up here at the front and, and just come up here and just let us know. We'd be more than happy to pray with you. But as we go into this time, you respond and just lift up, lift up those concerns, not only yours, but those that you know who have concerns in our faith family. Lift those up to God, if you would, as we close.